Hello and welcome to the Henrietta Christian Fellowship Podcast. The notes for the sermons featured here can be found at our website, henriettacf.org. Also, on Android or iOS mobile devices, you can find them on the Uversion app. Just click on search for live events and enter our zip code, 14543. Without further ado, here's this week's sermon. Uh, just this one week to, to just look at Jesus as the one who healed, the one who delivered, who did all these things. Who, you know, the one who came in, and if this is last year before he gets to that last week. Uh, you know, he spends a fair amount of it talking to his disciples about uh, his going to the cross and the resurrection, and you know, and he, and he shares all this. And um, but the thing that struck me was how calm he was about it. You know, because I'm, I'm used to kind of American-style, you know, ministry where it's like, you know, you kind of got to whip up some excitement, you know, and everything, and, uh, you know, and try to get people shouting and everything, and, you know, and then, you know, you get, you get the right environment, then stuff will start to happen. And I never see Jesus do any of that, okay? <laughs> you know, he's just, you know, kind of walking through town. People come up, you know, Jesus, my son is grievously ill, you know, and he's like, well, you believe I can do this? And it's like, well, yes, and it's like, well, well help my unbelief, but, but uh, yeah, you know, it's, and so, I mean, and he says, okay, your son's healed, you know, go in peace. You know, and it's like, you know, and just, I, I mean, there's, now there are times when people saw these things happening where it says they all ran together. You know, I mean, they, they, were, they were stepping on each other. They were just so excited to see what God was doing. But Jesus himself, I mean, it says that you didn't hear him shouting in the street. You know, smoldering flax he wouldn't quench. You know, that he was this, you know, and, and, I, and just this, this calmly healing, calmly delivering. He's confronted with the demoniac at Gadara. There's probably two, but the one must have been worse than the other, and so he hardly gets mentioned by some of the gospel writers. But, you know, and he asks him what his name is, and he says, Legion, because we're many. Now, that, uh, Roman Legion was two, 3,000 soldiers. Okay, so I don't know if he was bragging or what, but, uh, but you know, he, enough to fill a couple thousand pigs, you know. And, and you don't see Jesus breaking a sweat. You know, a little conversation, and, okay, want to go on the pigs? Go. You know, and, and, and it's just, it's, it's mind-boggling to me to see Jesus doing these things. And he's heading for this last year. He, you know, he comes out of Judea uh, because they're looking to kill him. Now, see, we read that and we think, yeah, if they're trying to kill me, I'd get out of Judea too. No, it was, it was a timing issue. They wanted to kill him at the wrong time. He, he, he knew from eternity that he was going to that cross. All right, but, you know, the, the people here are a little anxious to get him there. You know, and um, and so, you know, so he gets out of Judea and goes back into Galilee. But even in Galilee, you know, there's some controversy. You might remember they tried to kill him in, in his hometown. <laughs> right? So he's he's experiencing a lot of opposition. We've talked about this, you know, later in the ministry. You know, he's getting this opposition, but he's still healing. I mean, he's still out there ministering, and uh, you know, so he he comes into to, to Galilee and he, and he and he makes this tour not just through Galilee but also some of the surrounding regions you know the Decapolis and uh, you know and I think Caesarea Philippi and some other places that he goes to uh, around the area and just you know just just working miracles healing people delivering people and uh, you know feeding 4000 you know didn't have anything to do that day you know just feed some 4000 because they were hungry and didn't want to send them away and you just i mean there is something about Jesus as he addresses all of this, that he knows his father, right? And he, he, he sees what his father is doing, and he just does it, okay? To, the way he describes it, you know, once we get it out of the dramatic, 
okay, and just listen to what he's saying a little bit, because we're going to be looking more at what we see in him. But, but nonetheless, I mean, you know, they, they, they got after him because he healed somebody on the Sabbath. That's always an amazement to me. Okay, so somebody was deathly ill, <laughs> and they got healed, and, and, and the excitement is, you did it on the Sabbath, and we're going to kill you for it. <laughs> it's like, what's wrong with this picture, right? And Jesus just answers him and says, look, you know, my father's working. I'm just doing what he's doing. You know, and, uh, you know, very, you know, and, and I just, there's something to be learned by watching Jesus this way. You know, I mean, when he walks through the midst of the crowd in Nazareth and just walks away, I'm just thinking that he was hard to spot in the crowd for all that. <laughs> that, uh, that he could just decide, well, I'm just walking out. And I think there was some of the Holy Spirit upon him that, that you know, without measure, that, you know, they, they weren't, it wasn't his time, and so they weren't going to be able to. But, um, but nonetheless, he makes this whole thing, and, you know, and, and he just goes through, he's preaching, he's healing, he's delivering, he's telling his disciples about his impending crucifixion and resurrection. So let's look at what he did during this time. Let's watch Jesus here for a minute. So the, the first one we come across in this year that we're heading into is that... Um, he healed the, the, uh, and, or, and delivered the Syrophoenician woman's daughter. You know, that was the one where, you know, the, this woman came to him and said, you know, my, my daughter's possessed by a demon and grievously ill. You know, please help her. And remember, this is the one where Jesus says, I wasn't sent to you. I was sent to the, to the children of Israel. And, uh, you know, it, and, uh, it's not good to take the children's bread and feed it to the little dogs around the table. And we go, uh-oh. It's like, you know, my whole picture of Jesus is, 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 is kind of like a little turned sideways here. What? All right. But then you see, like, he knows where this is going. And it gives this woman the opportunity to say, look, I'm not coming here trying to make myself equal with, with the mission you came for. I'm just saying that, that um, you're God, you know, and I, I'm humble before you. You know, don't even the small dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall from the table. And, I, and anyways, and Jesus says, I haven't seen faithless like this in Israel. He says, for that saying, go and peace your daughter's you know, is, is healed. And she was. And it says that, uh, it says, yes, Lord, even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, because of this answer, go, the demon has gone out of your daughter and going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed and the demon, de the demon having left. He healed the deaf man with the speech impediment. All right. And, uh, you know, over Mark chapter seven, he fed the 4,000 and healed just, you know, they just, you got to get this picture, you know, Jesus out there preaching and uh, and just see him. I want you to see just things we're supposed to, to understand about Jesus just by seeing him. And, and, and again, our hearts, when we believe, they have eyes of faith to see these things. And, uh, you know, and so Jesus at some point, you know, in all this ministry and, and you get a crowd following you. All right. I, I, I guess, you know, they didn't have a day job or something, but I mean, it's just I, I don't understand the economy or, or, or what. But, you know, thousands of people would just follow him and listen to him and they get out of ways. All right. Because he wasn't hanging out in the cities at this point. All right. He's, he's out, you know, on the hills and that sort of thing. And the kind of a distance out, you know, that thing where you swim out and then you realize it's kind of a long way back. You know, well, you know, they've gone out quite a ways. And Jesus says, well, it's not a good idea to send these folks home without feeding them. So feed them. They're like, uh, excuse me, we got just a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish here. And he says, and here's what it says. And so he directed the people to sit down on the ground and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them and started giving them to his disciples to serve to them. And they served them to the people. And 4,000 were fed. Plus they took up more than they'd given out. All right. And so it's just Jesus. Just, just, just calmly out there. Just, you know, they're hungry. Let's feed them. All right. Uh, 
You know, you and I, we'd be like, hey, got a deal here? Okay, we're going to feed 4,000 people. You watch this. This is going to be so cool. Like, can you get the, get the, get the flyers out, okay? Because, you know, we're going to feed 4,000 people. You know, we, <laughs> apparently no concern for all this, all right? He's, you know, he didn't, he didn't even put it on TV, you know? I mean, they didn't have TV, but I mean, you know, okay. But I mean, he did not do the things. That, in fact, his brothers and sisters criticized him for it. He said, you know, you're ministering in all the wrong places. He says, if you really, you know, if you want to be known, hey, why don't you go up to, they didn't believe in him, okay? Why don't you go up to Jerusalem so they can see what you do? All right? They knew how to do this. Jesus knew how to do this. He knew exactly what he was doing. All right? And so it says, though, that over Matthew 15, 31, 30 and 31, looking at the same thing, it says, and large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame and crippled, blind, mute, and many others. And they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. You know? How should you see Jesus? You know, I want you to put yourself in the place of these people bringing these folks. You know, I've been over in Ukraine, and they have a place called the Lavra, and, and there's a lot of, you know, kind of stories told about this place. And, uh, and anyways, but it's a place that they associate with healing. And I saw, I've never seen this in America, but I saw it there. Uh, people that had desperately ill relatives for whom medical, uh, there's nothing medical that could or was going to be done for them, maybe because of failures in the health system, but in other cases, just because they're incurable diseases. And they bring their relatives to this place and lay them down on the ground, you know, give them a kiss and leave them. You know, because, you know, that's, this is your hope now. And you're either going to be healed here. And, and so the people would have to come out and they, they would make, you know, big vats of soup and things like that every day and come out and feed all these people who were just laying around on the ground outside of this monastery, you know. I didn't see anybody get healed while I was there. But um, it was, my, I think, first, might have been my first trip over. And uh, so I, you know, I don't speak enough language to do much either. So, but nonetheless, it says that they, he healed them. So the crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, and the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Jesus healed the blind man. This is the one who said he saw uh, men as trees walking. And then Jesus prayed for him again, and, uh, and he was you know, fully healed. And then saw people walking as, as he should have. You know, and then over in Mark uh, uh, 8.31, you know, he starts to talk to them about uh, his coming crucifixion and, re and resurrection. It says, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three, three days rise again. Uh, Matthew 16, 24 through 26, Jesus applies this to them personally. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He's saying, look, I'm not just telling you I'm going to a cross. I'm telling you, I'm going to cross, and if you're going to follow me, come on, let's go. All right, and uh, some of the people took it up wrong. <coughs> Peter got in some trouble with Jesus about this. This is never going to happen to you. I'll go with you, and I'll fight, and, you know, and he's like, Satan, get behind me. He just got through telling him that he'd received a message from, from his father in heaven when he told him that, he, that Jesus was the, the son of God. He said, flesh and blood didn't tell you my father in heaven. And a few verses later, he's, he's telling him, get behind me, Satan, because uh, he was taking this the wrong way and saying, yeah, we'll fight, you know. And you uh, say, no, no. He says, you, you ought to follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save us, this is important. This, this meant a lot to me as a young Christian. It still means a lot to me today. But when I first read this, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Were you ever a kid and you got something that was really precious to you? You thought, this is really, I've, I've always wanted this. For my brother, that was Hanukkah Geld, you know, which is those little chocolate coins with the awful chocolate inside. 
Okay, and he just loved those things, you know. And so they were so precious to him that he wouldn't eat them. Okay, and so he would hide them places. And we would find them like two, three years later, and they would be inedible. Well, they were inedible in the first place, but I mean, they're even more inedible, you know, after two, three years being stored in a drawer. God gave you a life, and that life was for a purpose. Okay? Now, if you try to save it, hang on to it. Hang on to your life for all you're worth. You're going to lose your life. Okay? You're never going to get to be what God intended you to be because you were so busy trying to protect the thing he gave you that you never lived it. You know, that, you know this is something I've been preaching since I came here. Every one of you has a gift. Every one of you has opportunities. Every one of you has a destiny from God uh, to, to be lived. And he's saying, look, if you, if you try too hard, I remember my son Tim wanted to go on a missions trip to, uh, to Cairo, Egypt. He was 12 when he asked, 13 when he went. And if you see the pictures, you think we're out of our minds to let him go. And um, it, it appears the children are either having a lot of fun or something. I don't know. Yeah, I, I could actually hear that. <laughs> so, yeah. But, um, you know, and I remember the discussion that my wife and I had. Here you got your 12-year-old saying, I want to go on a two-week missions trip to Cairo, Egypt. By the way, uh, shortly before they went, um, uh, 12 Christian uh, missionaries were killed uh, in Cairo, Egypt. Um, and um, so we're having to decide whether we'll let them go. And I remember I just prayed and prayed and prayed, and I said to my wife, I said, you know, we've been telling them about trusting God all these years. I said, if we say no, I said, I think Jesus goes in the same category as, you know, Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. You know, things he taught you to believe in, but, well, you know, maybe not. And so we let him go, you know. But we all have to face life that way, that if I'm trying to hang on to it and save it and keep it so I don't ever use it up, you know, if, I, you know, if I'm too protective of that life, I'm going to lose the, what it was for. It was the life that God gave to me. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, the person who can just let go and say, God, I want to serve you whatever it costs. Whatever that means, uh, Jesus, I want to live the devoted life. I want to live my life to you. I want to live my life as praise to you. I want to live my life as worship to you. And, uh, you know, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? I remember being asked that, uh, you know, somebody, somebody was uh, tr trying to explain to me that my job as a 19-year-old, uh, 20, 20-year-old maybe, 20-year-old, that's 20 by the point, um, you know, was to, you know, they were going to pay me to sin and I would just sin for them. I said, no, I, I don't, I don't sin for money. I don't sin. I just, no, no, don't do that. And anyways, and, uh, and he looked at me like there's something wrong with me. He said, well, it's just because you're so young. You just don't. And I says, no, no, no. I'm going to get more this way, not less this way as I get older. And anyways, and so I said, look, I said, the Bible asks a question. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And you're not offering me the whole world. You're just offering me a paycheck. If I gain the whole world and lose my soul in the exchange, you know, I need to live my life for God. You know, and if you remember, I, I, he basically fired me, and then his boss hired me back and uh, you know, gave me a promotion and a raise. Uh, it doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes you just get fired. Okay? So, and over here in Matthew 17, 22 and 23, it says, And while they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going uh, to, uh, to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. All right? 
I wouldn't have understood. I wouldn't have understood. You wouldn't have understood. None of us would have understood. You know. But as we're getting closer to this departure point, all right, uh, he's, he's, he goes there for a year, but he only spends about six months ministering. It's rather intriguing. You know, there's this six-month waiting time that, that eventually arrives, and we'll get to there. But he healed uh, and delivered uh, a demon-possessed boy over in Mark 9.24. Immediately, the boy's father cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Remember that one? You know, but he, that, that boy was set free. Jesus was in a hurry of fretting. He ministered with a calm, and he described it this way. as over in John 5.17, then 19-21. But he answered them, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. Matter of fact. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it's something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all the things that he himself is doing. And the father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he wishes. Oh, he said, I, I can't, I, this is not on my own initiative. How many times have we tried to exercise our faith on our own initiative? You know, I decided, you know, I want to do. And, and it's like, and we're, and we're trying to exercise faith in that direction. Jesus says, look, that's not how I operate. It's like, Father, what are you doing? I want to, because I want to be a part of what you're doing. Show me what you're doing, because and, and I'll, I'll stand up and do it. And uh, there are times when you're somewhere and you realize, God's getting ready to heal somebody, you know, and I'd like to be a part of that. And so you step up and you start praying, <laughs> you know. Uh, there's a guy, Charles Price, he wrote a book called The Real Faith. Uh, it's, a, it's a very intriguing book in which he says, part of the reason why people don't see more answers to their prayers is because they don't bother to seek God for the faith to believe for the thing that they're, that they're going for. And so he says, but once you have that and you know, you know, he said, you know, then, then you just get, you get up and speak and it happens. And uh, so seeing Jesus, you know, we see something. We, we only need to do what the Holy Spirit shows us to do. But... Okay, understand that when it's time to do, we do, right? When it's time to wait, we wait. Jesus sometimes waited. Uh, you know, my original picture of Jesus was of somebody who never had to wait because he had authority, so he just went out and did, 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 did. Then I started looking in the scriptures and watching him, and I realized there was times when he was waiting. You know, go up to Jerusalem. It's not time yet. <laughs> it's like, he was waiting. Right? And uh, in this particular part, as we head towards that fourth Passover uh, during his ministry, is one of those times where he just decide, he's waiting. All right? And uh, we need to be his servants, but we also are his friends. You know, Jesus makes this statement over in John 15, and he tells us that you are chosen, appointed, fruit-bearing friends of Jesus. I'm going to say it again. You are chosen, appointed, fruit-bearing friends of Jesus. Now listen to him say it here. You are my friends if you do what I command you. All right? Your salvation does not come from anything that you do. All right? When people ask, they said, they said well, Jesus, uh, you know, what must we do to you know, do the things that God requires? What did Jesus answer? He says, you know, the work of God is to, to believe on him who he sent. You know, your salvation is pure and simple. By grace, God loved you, and he gave you a gift, and he gave you the faith to receive it, and if you take that faith that he gave you and you receive it, you're saved. Your works have nothing to do with how saved you are. However, um, 
Beyond this is more. There are things that accompany salvation. All right? And, and the word talks about them. And here's one of them. Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command you. So you're not talking about escaping barely, like somebody escaping from a burning building. It's talked about in Corinthians. All right? He's, no, you're my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves. For the slave does not know what his master is doing. In fact, you can get yourself in a bunch of trouble uh, as a slave, being told what to do, asking why you're doing it. That's a sure enough way to get, a, get yourself a good beating. You know, if you, if you, if you're, if you, if somebody owns you and they tell you to do and you got a question, you're in trouble. He said, I don't call you slaves anymore. And he said, call you friends. He said, and, and he said, here, he says, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father. I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. You are all chosen by God. All of, all of us. All of us here are all chosen by God. All right? God does not choose people to say, well, you know, Joy, the deal was like this. See, you know, I got people that they're kind of special to me. And so they're going to get to bear fruit. But you, hey, just sit in the pew. Okay? And I hope that's good enough for you. It's not what God's doing. All right? Every single person here who names the name of Jesus, I want you to understand, you are friends of Jesus and you are chosen by him to bear fruit. Okay? Your life was intended, the one that, that you were supposed to not lose by trying to hang on to it. This life, okay, um, here's how it works, is that, you know, you, you live it for Jesus, and um, you do what, what, what Jesus is showing you to do, and he does that by the Holy Spirit, all right? Because he said, you know, it's good for me that I depart, because if I don't depart, the Holy Spirit won't come. And he also said that, uh, you know, that, that, you know, that there's greater works are you going to do because I go to the Father. Two reasons why it's, you, you'll do more when he goes to the Father. One is because he goes to the Father and the Holy Spirit gets sent. And the other thing is, too, is that once he went to the Father, he had, he had risen from the dead, he had, he had ascended, and now you are, you are not just witnesses of, of his ministry and his crucifixion, you are now witnesses of his resurrection and his ascension. All right, so there's there more that, was, that you're being witnesses to now. All right, and so he says, look, you know, I, I've called you friends. And he said that uh, I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. So you've got to go. You know, when he says go, you go. You go, where, where am I supposed to be? And bear fruit to understand that there are things that God gifted you to do. And when you do it, it bears fruit. Now, that would be good enough all by itself. And that your fruit would remain. That's, that's, that's powerful stuff, folks. Anybody here ever tried growing fruit? Okay. And, and how'd that work for you? <laughs> it's hard. It's very hard. Okay. And, and of course, you get competition, you know, for the fruit. All right. The, the rabbits ate all my fruit this year. Well, I, I think it was the deer, but the deer blamed the rabbits, you know. So, I mean, it was like, you know, so, but, uh, the, uh, you know, so I said, like, I, I told the deer, I said, Look, rabbits can't reach that high. And they made up stories, but, you know. But, you know, Bearing fruit that sticks around, bearing fruit that doesn't get just eaten up, bearing fruit that doesn't, you know, just rot on the vine. I got black spot on my grapes, had to grow all new grapevines. You know, as I tried and tried and tried to get rid of the black spot, couldn't get rid of it, and ended up, you know, and he says, but your fruit is going to remain. It's going to endure. Well, in, how long is your fruit going to endure? Forever. Yeah, thank you. See, I, I like having her in the front row. So I pick on her to keep, keep her coming back. But, the, but see, it's like, yeah, it's like forever. Not just, not only here for now, but your fruit. Do you ever, do you ever feel like you're laboring in a field that wasn't bearing much fruit? Yeah. But you know what? Jesus said different. Jesus said different. 
you know, your fruit, you're going to bear fruit, and that fruit is going to endure. You know, you may not necessarily be getting the harvest you're looking for, but if you're doing the thing that God gave you to do, if you're doing the thing the Holy Spirit showed you, if you're using the gift that, that, that the Lord gave to you, you will bear fruit, and that fruit will endure. And it will endure, you know, to, for eternity. All right? It's going to endure for eternity. There are people that you're going to touch in Ukraine this year. All right? And uh, you know what? You may never get to see it, but someday in eternity, you're going to find out that something that you said or did when you were over there, just that you came, uh, made a difference in somebody's life, and, and, they're, and they're in heaven with a big reward. And you go, oh, I didn't even know I did that. All right? And that's how most of it is, isn't it? And we get too much into ourselves looking to see what we did. You know, then that produces pride. Okay? So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. All right? See, if we're on our own little mission, that, that promise does not exactly, you know, have a way of becoming prominent. But if we're doing what he gave us to do, his provision comes. I remember Costadere, one of my early mentors and, and, and a lovely man, um, you know, he said something. He would say controversial things. He said, you know, if God sends you, he says, God provision comes without prayer. And, and I'm thinking, uh-oh, are you going to be in trouble for this? Or are you going to definitely be talking to the administration about this little sermon? Anyways, but all he was saying was, look, you know, you have to believe for God's provision if you believe what you're doing is something God has you to do. God, is, God, does, God does not send you to war on your own expense account. You know, that God provides for that which he calls you to do. So, so what becomes important? We're watching Jesus. We're seeing what he does. We're seeing how he goes about doing it. We're hearing him talk to us about taking up our cross and, and about you know, being his friends and doing the things that he's commanded us to do. And so you know, I, I, I just, as I was walking through this and just praying, I said, God, so what's the crucial thing? And you know, the crucial thing is, is that uh, we need to spend the time that we need to spend to learn how to discern and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Okay? You know, there's times we get off, you know, some of us are bolder than others, you know. That doesn't mean you're here in the Holy Spirit. Some of us are more cautious. That doesn't mean you're not here in the Holy Spirit. But when you, but we need to spend the time, and, and that's sometimes talking, sometimes being quiet with the Lord, inviting the Holy Spirit to speak to us and show us and teach us and direct us, guide us, you know, give us what we need to, to do the things that, that we're, we're here to do. And, uh, and understand that there are times and seasons. There are times and seasons. That, you know, it's, you don't have forever to do everything that God gave you to do. It may be in the moment. You know, at youth group, we had a moment, you know, like one of those times where I think that was just the moment when that was all supposed to come together and happen, and it did. You know, and that was a time, it was a season. Ecclesiastes says there's an appointed time for everything. Now, you may not like all the, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, but he says, and there's a time for every event under heaven. All right. But if you don't like Ecclesiastes, we can get this from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. It says, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. All right? you know, every moment is not the moment when somebody's going to listen. And sometimes you're there in the moment they're going to listen. And, and, and we just got to hear what the Holy Spirit's saying and, and, and do it. So we see Jesus, and he's on this miracle-working tour. But then he waits. You know, there's this, uh, Jesus waited. He didn't go up to Jerusalem until the time, it says. Uh, there's, there's a wonderful book out there called The Fourfold Gospel. It's a, it, it take all the Gospels and kind of merge them all together so you can get like one story walking through. And, you know, they bring the various different uh, Gospel writers into a chronology. And their chronology could be wrong. We don't know. It's, it's, it's an attempt. 
but in that they, they say that uh, he hovered upon the outskirts of Galilee. So he was, he was not in, in Judea yet, but he wasn't exactly engaging with, with Galilee even at the time. All right, he was just on the outskirts for about six months before he went up to Jerusalem. And he, I mean, he did things during that time, but the, the miracle working stuff kind of ebbed for a little while. And Luke 9.51 says, And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. He, I, I like the King James on that one. I, the, the, the modern language, you know, he, he decided he was going to go or something like that. And it's like, no, no, no. He set his face. It means he turned his countenance in a direction and started to go. He, he started to move. And his disciples had, had, had come to recognize these moments. You know, when something was about to change, you know, I remember one of them where it's like, you know, the, the, the disciples kind of went off this way and Jesus went that way. And, and what it was is that, you know, he'd been ministering, doing all this powerful stuff. And some Greeks, uh, you know, they're probably Greek, Jewish, Jewish Greeks. But anyways, they, they come and say, oh, we want to see Jesus. And they come and say, hey, Jesus, everybody's looking for you. He says, yeah, let's go here. <laughs> and, you know, there were these times when these changes came. And when Jesus set his face, they learned to follow him. There are times and seasons we need, we need. Boy, I'll tell you, if you ever have those times like I do, where you just, in all that's going on, all that's being said, that you just feel like, I cannot figure out what to do by looking at what I'm looking at. You know, this is a season, this is a time for really seeking after, after the Holy Spirit and saying, teach me how to, to hear you. Teach me how to discern what, what you're leading. And, uh, and, and then help me to find the holy boldness that when you say go, I go. Right, because when the time came for Jesus, he went. Didn't hesitate. He went. And so that's what we see by seeing Jesus. You know, in this, this year, covered it kind of quickly, but, but to see him as the healer, to see him as the deliverer, to see him as, as the one heading to his own crucifixion, heading to his own resurrection, heading to the ascension, to see Jesus this way, and to, to understand that... Uh, he was not striving after it, nor was he trying to teach us to strive after it, to reach for it, to seek for it. Yeah, remember, knock, seek, all that. But we aren't going to get there by breaking the sweat. But there's this, this whole aspect of the devoted life, you know, where how, how much of me, how much of my time, how much of my attention, my focus, how much of my resources does God own? You know, because, you know, in the end, you know, for eternity, the, the one building project that, that, uh, that God says he'll be looking at is the one where a foundation was laid, which was Jesus. And then we carefully built on that foundation with silver and gold and precious stones. Not wood, hay, and stubble. There's stuff that we're doing, let's face it, we know it'll be burned up. It has no, no, no use for eternity. But there are those things that God shows to us that have a purpose in eternity. It is the fruit that remains, that endures. And for us to, to, to be devoted to Christ, seeking for the direction of the Holy Spirit, and walking faithfully in those things. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast brought to you every week by Henrietta Christian Fellowship located at 1085 Middle Road in Rush, New York. If you have a prayer request or a need, we want you to know that we're here for you. Please send us an email 
at henriettacf at gmail.com. That's henriettacf at gmail.com. Once again, thank you for listening, and God bless.